You're listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense with your host, Doug Thorpe. Here's Doug. Well, hello again, everyone. This is Doug Thorpe, and you're listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense. We're going to uh, spend some time today in our leadership journey talking about the idea or the subject that is uh, top of mind for many people, and that is burnout. It happens in most careers at some point or another. People feel overworked and underloved, and uh, uh, it, um, it 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 really gets in the way of good critical thinking and good productivity. So, um, my guest today is uh, Dr. Gary Simons, and uh, Gary, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm honored. And as is a little bit of a custom here, Gary, uh, give us a, kind of a walk down memory lane. Tell us a little bit about your journey to get to where you are today and what are some of the drivers in the work you do for folks? Well, uh, I mean, I, I guess it all centers around a, uh, a career in the world of neurosurgery. So I you know I went through the usual uh, ringer of med school and then a uh, pretty grinding uh, residency, which in the world of neurosurgery is um, seven years long, meaning seven years after uh, graduating from medical school, you are still in training. And back in those days, it was literally on the order of 110 hours a week in the hospital. Um, up all night every third night or even sometimes every other night and just <laughs> continuing to grind it out uh i guess a uh a study in total immersion uh and it was probably good that it was that way because much of the career uh was pretty similar a lot of a lot of late nights or all nighters uh and a lot of work but uh obviously a very rewarding um, a very rewarding way to spend one's uh, career. So uh, since then, I did retire from operating a couple of years ago, um, but I continue to teach at medical school and, and undergrads at Virginia Tech. So I guess a question I've always had, and this is going to be a little bit of a diversion, but... Um... As, as probably most of us, most that are listening, we, we've known somebody that's a medical professional that has done the grind of going through medical school and whatever additional specialty training they wanted to pursue. And you hear the stories of those long, long weeks, long days and all-nighters and that sort of thing. What does that do to your proficiency? I mean, your your ability to continue to absorb learning and and act and react in the moment when critical decisions have to get made. I mean, how, do, how does that really play out? Yes. I mean, talk about a uh, wide open subject there, Doug. Uh, it, is, it is definitely uh, subject to a fair amount of uh, thought and evaluation. I, I, I will tell you that it has gotten, it has become more humane since our days, uh, although I think a lot of people would still uh, see it as pretty grueling. We we have been mandated to keep the residency 
training hours under 80 hours a week. Um, uh, and of course, that's that's equivalent to two full-time jobs uh, nonetheless. And, and even there, there's a lot of cheating that goes on or where the residents keep pushing. And, and they're also expected once they get home to, to do a lot of studying. So I, I agree with you. At some point, um, uh, you start to lose something. You lose an edge. You lose, I think, maybe more than anything, some humanity. I, I, there were times I can remember back in my residency days where I was angry when patients uh, kept coming in. Uh, you know, you were just so dog tired that at some point you you lost a lot of your empathy. Um, nonetheless, the the flip side to it is the the real world in medicine um, doesn't necessarily uh, let up uh, at you know at sunset. Uh, uh, it it keeps going and people get sick at it inopportune times. Um, and there are times where you have to run over time no matter what. So I, I, I'm actually a fan of a lot of kindness and a lot of uh, a better planned out training of, of our medical professionals, but also throwing in, um, you know, some definite adversity training. I, I guess I use the, the Navy SEALs as an example. I don't think they go on some days out there at Navy SEAL training and say, "Ooh, the water's a little cold today. We won't, we would, we won't do our our uh, exercises." I think they say, "Get in the water and do your job." Uh, and and so I think an element of adversity training is probably good good for us. It's probably good for us in all industries, but uh, certainly in medicine, uh, we're called upon at times to kind of go above and beyond. Well, I think for anybody that's gone through that kind of training and, and you you brought up the SEAL training in the military, even in my day, basic training in the military demanded duty and work above and beyond what you thought you were able to do or what your body was telling you it thought you were able to do the demand was to go further do more and you have this aha moment that you really can you're, you're capable of performing at a at a higher level than you might otherwise you know mentally prepare yourself for or even physically be prepared for there is an extra capacity in the human frame to to be able to do that but I do think the question comes, you can do that in sprints, but when it turns into a marathon, how how do you manage that? And so I, I guess that's the starting point of our talk on burnout in your case and your experience. How do you manage that long-term perpetual grind and what what are steps you took to maintain some level of resilience and focus and capability? Well, Doug, I I I, I may be um, the the poster child for how to do it all wrong. I think <laughs> in some ways, I, I I wrote three books on the subject, and I, I think I should have entitled them, you know, "Do as I say, not as I did." Um, but uh, no, you're right. You know, it, it 
if it morphs into this is all you know and this is all you do, I think it it, it actually begins to warp our, our mental map of the world, our perception of what's normal and what's not. And so, for example, in medicine, one of the things we see a lot, and it's not just in medicine, again, I've seen this in all uh, different industries, but what we see a lot is this what I call a suffering contest. It's like, we, you know, we've gone through that rigorous training, we've gone through all that adversity, and now we want to show everybody else that we can out-suffer them. And so we, <laughs> we literally, you know, I was the first in and the last out. I've seen the most patients. I did the most call. I did this. Uh, and, and it's really a warping of, of what we would probably want in our world, certainly what we would want for the other people around us. I think, I think you know, generally we want the people around us to have decent, happy lives. And yet there we are trying to shame each other for, you know, not suffering as much as, as we do. Um, so yeah, there is a lot of factors in it that that really can drive uh, behaviors that are counterproductive for us. What what did I do? I worked too hard. I was definitely a workaholic. Um, but what actually got me out of bed every day? And I think this is you know one of the key points in building uh, resilience and wellness. What what really drove me uh, were the patients and their families and uh, in the books and even a novel I wrote, I tried to underscore um, what what I could only call a a grace, uh, a a unfathomable grace and bravery to the patients I cared for and their and their families. I mean, these people were coming down with the worst things that one could imagine. And their families were facing, you know, us coming out and telling them that their loved ones were paralyzed or, or brain dead or, you know, horribly injured or stroked or, or whatever. And I, I mean, time after time, every day, many times a day, uh, it was responded to with just, un, again, unfathomable bravery and a, a calmness and a grace that I, I just couldn't imagine. And truly, I think that was one of the things that absolutely made everything else easier. And, and I guess it would, it boils down to, um, meaning the the concept of meaning. So one of the things that we, one of the mantras that we repeat in the resilience business is meaning is an antidote to burnout. If you can get a sense of meaning in your day to day, uh, it can it can really cover up a, a lot of the other stressors. It can really lower the stress level. Yeah. Well, you packed a lot in there, and I guess a couple of things that um, I, I want to highlight. Number one is is the idea you mentioned, you know, that um, suffering contest and, and trying to get it out. As you were describing that, the thought that came to my mind, and I, I have seen this a lot, and I've coached executives against this, that is the idea the individual leader might be highly motivated, highly engaged with his own sense of meaning and purpose, so is driven, you know, first in, last out, all of that. But often that what goes with that is a subtle message that the people in your organization that report up to you or look to you, are they infer the, the meaning that they've got a 
they've got to compete at that level. They have to be, you know, clocking the same hours and they need to try to beat the boss in and, and stay longer and be the last out when the boss finally leaves. And oftentimes when that dynamic is is working, when I really challenge the leader, they will be the first to say, oh, I'm not asking anybody else to do this. It's just what I like to do. And, and then I have to counter with, yeah, but you need to set the level. You need to communicate that because if if it's unspoken, people are going to assume that that's the standard and that's what they need to live up to. And they may be there burning daylight and not really have a specific task to work on. Yeah, I mean, it's just uh, super points there, Doug. Uh, the absolutely, uh, you know, if you're in a leadership role, I certainly was. Uh, people are modeling their behaviors on you, and and they may be fearful of of exhibiting other behaviors. And so, again, here we are. Uh, exhibiting behaviors that are absolutely counterproductive to our our mental health, our emotional health, uh, if we're if we're engaged in these suffering contests. And we often said, you know, really what we should be c celebrating is, uh, look at this, guys. I am going home and having dinner with my family. And let me tell you what a joy it is to sit around the table with your family instead yeah. of this, oh, I can work well into the night hours and starve myself. And I haven't seen my children for three weeks. Um, and so if we're if we start modeling behavior like that, our, our people begin to realize, hey, that's okay. And ultimately, obviously, the better shape they are emotionally, uh, the better performance they're going to give us. So, you know, it's uh, we're being counterintuitive when we when we think we're just going to force people into this model of of uh, out suffering one another. And, and as you pointed out, it literally gets as, as absurd as making work you know, is I am just going to find a way to make myself miserable, even if it's not there, uh, because I've got to, I've got to uh, follow the boss's lead. Yeah. And, and that's a, a very real dynamic. Like I said, I think it's an unintended consequence that leaders create in the team environment, simply because they might be incredibly motivated and, and tied to the sense of calling or a purpose in the work and they literally just love it and they've figured out whatever deal they need to figure out at home with the spouse and family and that's the way they're going to operate but again i think the solution to that if you're the leader that is prone to be that profile you need to communicate that to your team and make it very clear that this isn't a trick question. This isn't a, a, a fake exam, that it's it's a choice that you've made and others need to make their own choice. But I, I agree with you totally. At times, the boss needs to be the one to say, hey, everybody, it's it's 4.30. Let's shut it down. Let's go home and make it home in time for dinner. And tuck the kids in bed and, and do what you need to do. And I think a leader needs to be thinking about that on occasion as well, especially those that are highly, highly driven. The other thing you mentioned is this sense of purpose and calling and being driven by the, the commitment to that purpose. 
And as you were describing your version of it, I, I often, or I thought about, again, many times in my coaching engagements, I will ask leaders about their sense of purpose and calling for the work they're doing. And for those that are very well aligned in purpose fulfilling work, they they tend to be there are no boundaries. They they tend to apply and 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 work diligently, maybe even creating a kind of a grind for it because they see the opportunity and they know there is a a reason for being available with those extreme hours. So. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I think in in my world, it was uh, it was just absolutely palpable and in your face, uh, the meaning of it all. Right. And I think um, it's there, certainly in all all industries. I mean, we're all making we're all making contributions to to keeping this society going, and you know, bringing each other uh, comfort and and hopefully prosperity and all that sort of thing. Um, but it may be a little bit more removed for leaders in certain industries where you're not just seeing this absolute one-to-one -one ratio of what am I doing? Oh, I can see the meaning right there. The patient is getting better. You may have to, you may have to uh, sit and think about what am I doing? What I'm, what am I contributing? But it, 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 you know, it goes on multiple levels, going back to uh, the, the people who are uh, working under us. There's plenty of meaning there that can be uh, harvested uh, if we recognize as leaders that we're really there to, to support and protect and project the members of our team. It's not really about us. I mean, once we reach that kind of leadership level, Hopefully, it should all be, what can I do for the people working with and for me, uh, the people under me? How can I, how can I a, a, again, support them and keep them from making the mistakes I may have made? Right. Um, how can I uh, protect them? Uh, how can I increase their capacity so they feel their meaning? Uh, and then finally, how do I project them? How do I put them out to the rest of the world so the rest of the world sees their qualities. And hopefully in the end, we derive much of our meaning from seeing them success uh, succeed, from seeing them, you know, uh, improve and, and uh, increase their capabilities. Yeah. Very good point. And um, uh, another thing that as we talk about this, I think about, and, and I'm going to describe it, and then I'm going to ask you, and it, if if it's too personal a question, tell me so, and we'll, we'll go another way. But there's a tool that we coaches often use when we're working with people because we we do try to ad address the whole human being, not just the work, not just one target area. And to get there, there's a, a simple little diagram that it's had different names, but it's popularly called the Wheel of Life. It's a kind of a pie chart that's got eight segments to it, and work is only one of those segments. So work and career, you've got family and health and finance and other areas, you know, hobbies and interests. And 
the question to the client is, so here's your graph, you know, start at the center. It, it's a grade one to 10, 10 on the outer bands. How do you rate each of these segments as, as far as what you're doing right now? And the, the outcome is, is often the first try at it. The honest answer is, well, maybe the one, two, or maybe three segments are all of my time and attention. And so I rate them eight, nine, or 10 in what I'm doing. But then you look at the other segments and they're really lacking. There's not a lot of attention, not a lot of focus. And if you think of that diagram as kind of a bicycle tire, if if you ever tried to ride a bicycle that had a giant dent in the rim, it, it's not, it's a bumpy ride. You're, you're, you're not, uh, not enjoying the ride very much. And that becomes kind of a picture of life. If, if these other areas are not getting the focus and attention that they need, you're probably truth be told, you're probably living in kind of a bumpy life. You know, you, you bounce back and forth, you've got success at work, but now all of a sudden family, friends, health, your own health, maybe even your finances are suffering because you're not paying the right amount of attention in those areas. So if, if you had had to do a, a wheel of life at your pinnacle, you know, what, what do you think your picture would have looked like? Yeah, not so great. <laughs> um, uh, definitely uh, overemphasize uh, certain components and and uh, neglected other components for sure. And I, you know, looking back when people ask me what would I do differently, I I think I definitely would have paced myself different, you know, differently instead of you know all in attack all the time every minute of every day. I, I we we have a similar uh, attack on this, a similar approach. Um, and and it comes up every time people uh, talk to us about work-life balance because work-life balance gets discussed a lot, uh, certainly a, a, you know across our society and and absolutely in the in the medical world. Um, and one of the things we try to stress is that if you measure your quote balance by time by you know a, a, by a stopwatch. Uh, you're going to be probably pretty unhappy with your balance, no matter what happens, because pretty much work is going to win. You're, you know, for anybody on a on a successful arc, at least, or whatever we want to define success by, uh, work is going to take a sizable portion of our days, and certainly sleep does, and and activities of daily living will, and it leaves very little time for those other things that define us and define our lives. Um, and so what we try to um, encourage is to look at it somewhat differently, to take time completely out of it. And rather than that, look at it in terms of successful engagement, if you will. And we ask people to take maybe four to eight elements of their lives, sit and really think about right now in, in time, because it's going to change through the years, but right now, what are four to eight elements of your life that are really important to you, that you really value, that really give you definition and, and make you believe in who you are? And plot those out. And instead of a wheel, we put them on a, on a, uh, on a uh, bar graph and just 
plot on a bar graph these four to eight components of your life, hopefully some in work, some at home, and rate them. Your y-axis your y is simply how engaged are you? How successfully engaged are you? At the at the bottom end, it's you know it's dead on arrival. You're 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 really doing poorly. At the top end, you're you know you're knocking it out of the park. And just just wing it. Just draw a bar graph for each of these components and how am I doing in each of these components? And you'll quickly see, as I would have per your question, that were there were areas where I was failing miserably at engaging at all. And rather than saying, oh, I have to shift time, it's more I have to figure out how do I invest more of myself, invest more energy, invest more uh, more engagement. So we might see that, uh, you know, my friends are super important to me and yet I'm not, I'm not, I haven't talked to one in years. Um, how do I, how do I engage them more? Maybe the friends that are close by, you know, staying healthy and staying in shape is also important to me. Maybe I start inviting them to the, you know, to the gym when I go. Let's just get get together and go to the gym or let's go hiking together or, or something like that. But figure out how do I engage more and stop measuring it by the absolute time that is being given to each of these. I, I think that's brilliant. And, and the other dimension of that that comes to my mind, if, if you are focused on the time allocation, how often have you heard stories or even I've been guilty of it myself, time-wise, I'm at home and I might be sitting at the dinner table, but I'm thinking about work. So I'm not engaged with those around me at home, not really. I mean, yeah, I hear them and I can react and respond to what comes up. But I'm not really engaged. I, I'm, you know, I'm mentally somewhere else. And and it happens both ways. I mean, I, you know, certainly people that are uh, struggling with a home life, they're at work, but they're not thinking about work because they've got this upset and uh, challenge on the home front. So they're, you know, they're, there's this yin and yang of, of the tug and, and, and their emotional tie. So I I love the idea of if you're going to evaluate this this balance you you've got to do it on the level of engagement that's going on. The flip side of that is and I learned this thankfully a number of years ago if I'm if if I was at work and I I had that little voice tell me why don't you check in with your wife just see what's going on well, I learned the hard way that the moments I didn't do that, there really was something going on that I should have been plugged into. And when I did do it, it didn't take long, but it was an opportunity to engage and have a quick discussion. Maybe maybe she was trying to make a decision about something and it was helpful to just bounce it off me and I didn't have to be the final voice on it by any means, but just having that connection and that little moment of engagement was meaningful and allowed the harmony that I wanted to create to, you know, to be healthy. Yeah. What a great suggestion. I, I, uh, 
you know, you're making several points there too that I think are really important. But uh, one of them uh, with this last one particularly is uh, we, ha we had m multiple mantras, but one, uh, one mantra is no guilt for self-care. Uh, and and we we have a tendency again. If you feel like you're a high powered person, you're gonna you know take take the work world by the horns and wrestle it to the ground. It's like we have to keep our other being completely separate, and and we are just gonna focus in and and drive drive drive. Um, and and if we even give ourselves a momentary break. For, for connecting with our families, for connecting with our friends, for looking at the sun for a few moments, we start being overwhelmed by guilt. And yet what we're doing is probably the most important things we can be doing for ourselves, you know, to, to keep going. Uh, so yeah, this absolute concept of no guilt for self-care. Uh, and then the other thing I think we have to be careful of is vilifying any component of our lives. If if we have deemed these components of our lives as being important, we can't then vilify them and say, no, 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 we have to keep them at arm's length at various parts of our day. They are important to us throughout our days. And I think we do that, you know, with with work sometimes, you know, even though we may really uh, we really may blossom in it and be enthralled by it. At other times, we're angry at it and and you know mad at it, and we vilify it. And I think we have to we have to look as, at work as being hopefully one of those things that actually do does bring us meaning and joy uh, and energy in life. Uh, and, you know, that graph I was talking about, the bar graph, we could even take work and, and have its own graph and break up the constituents of our work into the, the, the parts that really mean a lot to us and that re we really want to engage in. And for different people, that's going to be different things. One might, you know, be climbing up the corporate ladder. Another might be simply, you know, getting the job done. Another might be caring for, you know, the, the people we work around us and so forth. And, and you know, we can make our own, uh, you know, work graphs as well. Um, but we don't want to we don't want to vilify any of of the components of our work. And we want to see if there's a way uh, we can encourage our engagement through all of them. And with this graph thing, you know, we certainly recommend that you you check it out. You make a new one every so many months and and see what your progress is. You know, are you are you doing better in certain areas? Are you doing worse? And then obviously over time certain things are going to drift away as being so important you and other things are going to come in yeah well in in overarching all of this is something that i've taken away from the COVID experience as as one of the pivots that i consider i've made and I've subsequently tried to weave it into my coaching practice, and that is, you know, this popular term work-life balance. I've actually advocated that balance is not the answer because, and, and maybe this is just really drilling down on the word, but to me, the, the idea of balance means a give and take. You've got to give something up to allow something else to happen. and. In, in the very old, you know, version of a scale with the two trays pivoting. And if you want to keep it in balance, you got to add something over here, take away something over there. 
And I think that what the COVID experience showed us is balance is not the answer, but it's creating this harmony. It, it, it's kind of like, so they, with the word harmony, the analogy I picked up is kind of like a large orchestra. You've got a bunch of movement going on at the same time on radically different instruments. But when the conductor can, can get everybody on the right beat and on the right time, playing the respective notes that they're, you know, asked to play in this piece of music they're playing, you get this beautiful harmony of, of sound that, you know, really does work. And I, I think the, the harmony idea, both balancing and, and working or, or leveraging home versus work, uh, many of us were mandated during the lockdown. You, you were locked in at home. You had a spouse at home that might have a job. You had kids at home that needed to do some form of schooling. And there was this incredible chaos going on. And if, if you were the leader of the home and you didn't figure out how to conduct that symphony a little better, you, you had nothing but noise. Um, but if you could harmonize everybody's time and effort and energy, you could get a little more sanity, a little more production, a little more calm, a little more resolve uh, through the challenge of the experience. And I have, uh, I've when these this subject comes up with clients and and they start lamenting the sense that they're out of balance. My my question is, well, are you trying to do the wrong thing in in finding this notion of give and take in your life? But what if you thought about how to let it occur simultaneously? But then it comes back to your point, and I, I love your word, and I'm I'm going to embrace that and adopt it into my dialogue, the whole idea of engagement. And again, in the moment when you need to engage, can you fully engage with the attention you need, the emotional connection you need to have the moment? Because guess what? The moment that you need to divert and do that may not be all that long. It, it may not be a 12-hour shift. It may just be, I'm going to spend... 10 minutes with my spouse, my child, my friend, my colleague. But when I'm there in those 10 minutes, I'm going to be fully engaged. Everything else is going to be turned off and I'm going to, I'm going to make that connection. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I love the idea of the symphony. And I, I guess I, I'm going to go back all the way to the, what I would consider the very roots of building our resilience. Uh, and that is um, the idea of, uh, it's often termed uh, self-compassion or emotional intelligence, but emotional in intelligence about ourselves. It's awfully hard to, you know, to start getting that uh, symphony to, uh, to merge, um, to harmonize, if we don't actually understand ourselves, um, you know, how, how, how do we mesh with the others in our environment if we don't actually understand ourselves, our needs, our wants, uh, what, what drives us, what makes us happy, what makes us sad, what stresses us, what adds energy. And so like one of the first steps that, uh, that we push is the idea of actually taking this time, I'm gonna say time, 
taking some time periodically, sitting down and just thinking about ourselves, something that we often will feel guilty about, something that will, uh, you know, self-flagellate about, uh, if it, you know, uh, historically, but actually sitting down and coming to understand what exactly are our needs, what are the things that are going to drive us, what, what are the things that are going to drive us crazy. Um, because it's going to be awfully hard to fit in, to have all the jigsaw puzzles fit together or, or the, all the instruments harmonize if we're sitting there blowing a totally different tune because we don't even know uh, what we want or need. So, you know, early on, we think it's really important to, to understand ourselves. And one, one of the better, I don't know, metaphors uh, that I've heard of late that I quite like is the idea that we all kind of have a, a bank of energy within us. This energy is what drives us to get up and get out of bed and do whatever we do and, and uh, you know, go to work when we're going to work and, you know, uh, pick up an instrument or write a book or whatever we're doing. Uh, you know, you, you need a certain amount of upfront energy to do that. And everything we do, every interaction, every experience, every environment, of the day either makes a deposit in that bank or makes a withdrawal. And it really is very important that we come to understand what are making the deposits and, and seeking to have more of that. And that's gonna be the things that we want more engagement in, right? In that bar graph. And what are the things that drag us down, that, that sap the energy? And we've got to figure either A, how do we have less of those? Or B, how do we respond to them in a more productive way? Very good point. And I, I, I love the bank account analogy in that, and you're absolutely right. As we go about our day, the moment by moment, they either can help add to and make us feel fulfilled about where we're going and what we're trying to do, or they can be that, pardon the word, but that suck factor that just drains us and, and takes us away from everything that we're aspiring to do and um, you know obviously you can't avoid every one of those moments that's the negative but you I, I think what I heard you say is you've got to be protective and cautious of the need for the opportunity to have those plus elements those positive moments that attract and not not to be overly dramatic by it, but uh, what came to my mind as you were describing that, I, I have occasionally started working with an executive at at very you know popular and, and reputable brand name companies, and the more we talk, all of a sudden I'm I'm inclined to ask the question: Do you think you're really in the right role, the right position at the right company? I mean. I'm hearing you lament the the rub between your view of the world and life and, and versus what the environment there at your company is. And it's not to say that the company's wrong or, or my person is wrong, but it's just not a good fit. It, it's, it's not a good alignment. It, it would be almost like, um, I don't know. Um, well, I think of people that have gone a particular career path because their parents kind of forced them into it. And at the 
15 or 20 year mark, they wake up and go, you know, I just hate everything I'm doing. And uh, there's nothing about this that feels right. So they often choose to make a pretty radical pivot and maybe even depart an industry or depart a, a kind of business and go off in a wholly different direction. And then, you know, they find the thing that is a good fit and a, a good connection. And all of a sudden, they're a totally different person. Yeah, I mean, a great point, Doug. Uh, the, uh, you know, if we went back to, uh, forgive me for keep cycling back to this bar graph, but if we made a bar, gra bar graph of work alone and broke work down into the components that that bring us meaning and, and bring us engagement, uh, and we look across that bar graph and we say, my work has none of this. It offers none of this. I can't make it fit. Well, then I would argue we're definitely in the wrong place. Um, I personally, for example, I, I seem to um, uh, thrive on chaos. Uh, you know, I worked in a trauma center and the helicopters were coming in every other minute and somebody's dying or somebody's going paralyzed and we're getting calls from the ICU that a patient is sick. And, and, and it, I found it all thrilling and energizing. There are other people who would be like, this is awful. I can't have this many stimuli coming in at once. I want one problem at a time that I can, you know, really dive into where, you know, my world was, you know, is kind of superficially putting out fires as much as you can in multiple directions. And there, there would be no way that you could fit the calm collected person into my work. Now, there is neurosurgery out there that is far more organized and far more sedate. Um, so even within the same industry, within the same job title, you could probably find what you wanted and needed. Um, but if, if, if you can't find any of those components, yeah, it may be time to, to be looking elsewhere. Yeah. Well, Gary, on that note, we're about up on time here for today. I, I really thank you for sitting in. I think this was a, a great discussion and uh, uh, should be very much help and encouragement to those who may be listening. If folks are curious and want to know more about you and your work, what's the best way to get a hold of you? Uh, well, thanks for asking. Um, the I think by far the easiest thing to do is uh, just to go to my own website, which is my name dot uh, com. So it's Gary R Simmons S I M O N D S dot com, uh, and I love talking about this stuff. Uh, and we can go deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. Uh, so please, there are multiple ways to contact me through that website. Yeah. Well, and and you mentioned a novel. I uh, tell us a little bit about that adventure. Oh, thank! I really thank you for uh, bringing that up uh, because it's kind of my pride and joy right now. I I wanted to write a kind of a uh, not an expose. That's the wrong term, but an eyes wide open glimpse into the neurosurgical world, the modern neurosurgical world, what it really looks like. Uh, you know, what's happening to the patients, how they get there, uh, what we do for them, um, you know, kind of a lot of the 
the drama and the tragedy uh, and and the the successes and all. And at, at some point, and I put written down vignettes through the years, but at some point I decided that, you know, nonfiction, which I had written, you know, for the, <laughs> the entirety of my life might be, you know, in the end, just boring. So I decided to put it into a novel, um, which I hoped would be really immersive for the reader. So it's about a, a brain surgeon who begins to see ghosts. And uh, uh, we have to decide whether he's losing his mind or maybe those ghosts are real. Well, uh, and I will tell folks, uh, I, I, you graciously sent me a copy of the book. I, I have, I'm not quite finished with it yet, but I tell you, it, it is a great, great work, and I've, I've really enjoyed the the storyline and the work you did putting that together. I can't wait to see the end. I, I'm, don't tell me, don't tell me, don't. <laughs> well, you're too kind. I'll, I'll get there on my own, but uh, yeah. Well, again, Gary, thank you for sitting in and joining us. Oh, it is absolutely my pleasure. Well, folks, we are going to bring this to an end. Thank you for spending your valuable time listening. And uh, I certainly hope it has been helpful for you. As always, there is a video version of this over on YouTube, channel by the same name, uh, Leadership Powered by Common Sense. Hop over there, check out the archives of all our other episodes and, and things that you might have missed. And if you have a topic or an idea and want to share that with me, just uh, drop a line. Uh, you can hit my website at dougthorpe.com and uh, there's a lot of links there that you'll be able to contact me one way or the other so with that we're going to sign off say goodbye and go out there make it a great day you've been listening to leadership powered by common sense hosted by doug thorpe if you would like to know more about the coaching and advisory services he provides visit dougthorpe.com